I'd rather see a 3x return and people really healthy and not a littered, you know, series of, you know, entrepreneurs who've fallen apart behind me. I'd rather see a bunch of, you know, healthy, successful people all continuing to build and develop the Midwest ecosystem. We are here today with Lindsay Stencil. Uh, welcome, Lindsay. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. We're going to read your bio here. Lindsay Stencil has been in venture capital for nearly 15 years. She is a partner at Thompson Hine, running the VC and Merging Companies Group in Columbus, where she focuses on growing venture capital and increasing capital access generally for entrepreneurs throughout the Midwest, representing venture firms and startups from Albany to Chicago. As a licensed attorney in multiple states, Lindsay began her venture career on the pure deal side, working in big law in New York. After she obtained her MBA from The Ohio State University, she shifted to a true venture role in 2008, where she joined NCT Ventures, an early stage venture capital firm based out of Columbus, Ohio. There, she worked her way up the ranks to become one of the managing partners and chief legal counsel making her one of the first female venture capital partners in the state of Ohio. Born and raised in Buffalo, New York, Lindsay engaged with Launch New York, a Buffalo-based 501c3 venture development organization that works to provide mentorship and funding to seed stage businesses, industry agnostic in the 27 westernmost counties of the state of New York. She is also a co-founder of the W Fund, a women-led women-focused investment group and is an adjunct professor at The Ohio State University, Moritz College of Law. That's impressive, Lindsay. Welcome. It's awesome to have you here. You and I have had a chance to spend some time together, to collaborate together. It's been awesome getting to know you. And um, as you know, on this podcast, we want to share your full journey and let everybody see your path towards the success you've had. You've had a lot of success at a young age. Recently, I believe, named 40 Under 40, which hasn't made its way to the bio yet, but I will say it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't updated it all the way. There's a couple of things, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's share your journey. Um, let's go back to kind of the beginning. You were born and raised in Buffalo, New York. Tell me a little bit about the early life of Lindsay. Yeah. So uh, being raised in Buffalo, grew up with what I would call a more conservative family. My parents, I think they did you know, the best job that they could managing four small kids all under the age of, you know, eight. I was um, the oldest and then I have two brothers and a sister. Childhood was, I would say, predominantly really good. But um, I have like a few weird things that I think have sort of shaped how I look and see the world. And, you know, one of them, it's actually really trying for me right now. But it, it kind of taught me like be a fighter. Um, when I was five years old, two older boys in the neighborhood, uh, they were much bigger than me. I was a peanut. I was so small. <laughs> um, what happened? Um, but no, in all seriousness, I had two older boys in the neighborhood like beat the living hell out of me. And wow. um, yeah. And so, I mean, when I tell you like beat me to a pulp, like pummeled me, like, you know, tried to choke me to death. Like one of them cut my hair, one of them like pulled a knife on me. And only by the grace of God, like did um, a neighborhood mother see what was happening and come like screaming like a banshee person flying out of her house. Like only a mother who sees yeah. like a child in danger can, you know, and sort of like, I mean, <laughs> like back in the day, you know, sometimes you hit other people's kids. <laughs> and so she was like beating the hell out of them. And like I ran off and I ran home. And it was one of those things that was like it it like it teaches you to be like really protective of yourself, but at the same time, like I still was like, wait a minute, I'm still okay. Um, and so I sort of learned like, you know, even when I'm in a situation and other people are bigger and stronger and whatever, and now that plays forward into life, like they're bigger and tougher and they have more money and whatever, like I'm still gonna be okay. Like mm. I know I will at a core level. <laughs> Interesting. 
Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that is a pretty profound experience to learn. Did you say you were five? Mm-hmm. And how old were these kids? One of them was uh, 11 and one of them was eight. I think he was eight. He was eight or nine. Mm-hmm. One of the two. I mean, but they were a, much bigger than me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, at that age, that's a big difference. And and um, I mean, you're so young. I mean, that's like a little child to experience something like that and to, you know, kind of have that memory. And and I get that you have this perspective now, but like what was that like at the time? I, I doubt you kind of jumped right to like having the perspective, right? No, you did. Yeah. Um, you know, so when you're a little peanut, you learn certain behaviors. And so you kind of learn, okay, like I know I have to take care of myself. And so what does that look like? Because you know, when you're five, you're still like forming your brain. You don't totally understand everything that's happening around you, right? And so you think, oh, no one was there to take care of me except for this random woman by chance, you know? And so your brain wires itself to think like, oh, I have to be, you know, faster and, and smarter and stronger and whatever than everybody else because I always have to have a pathway out, mm-hmm. you know? And so it, it, you don't think about that at the time, but like it did cause like, tremendous trust issues and tremendous... Yeah, I mean, I just had a really hard time, I would say, like forming relationships, I would say, as a, as a wee little kid. And, 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 you know, that then sort of spilled forward into a couple other like challenging experiences, I would say, where, um, you know, being the oldest of, of four, you know, we had moved to Georgia for a period of time in the early 90s, like most families did. <laughs> I feel like like everybody moved to Atlanta for a period of time. And um, it was a really challenging time for um, my whole family. You know, my dad was on the road all the time. My mom's trying to manage four kids. That was a really big struggle, I think, for her. And I found myself like very much taking over also like the parent role because I also like, and I think that early childhood experience sort of trickled into, you know, being 11 years old and now like rolling into a very motherly type of role. And what I sort of learned was like, okay, I've got to take care of everyone and everything. And that's mm-hmm. what creates safety. And that is not true. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you got to take care of yourself first, but lessons learned over time. But and we can kind of dig into that a little bit. But that was just like a really challenging thing. And and what I also started to learn from that was, you know, when you're all alone and you move to a new city and you don't know anyone and whatever. People can go one of two ways, right? They can try to get attention when they're a kid by doing like very naughty things, mm-hmm. or they can be like grade A overachiever and like mm-hmm. try to get lots of attention that way. By the right. grace of God, I chose the latter, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just started to like learn to function like, okay, the better I do, the more I do, the more trophies I win, the more awards I win, like, well, my life will be better. And that is true maybe for a period of time, except for once you hit like a critical mass and you just can't keep doing that anymore. So it starts to break you down pretty bad. Yeah. So, so that's a lot, you know, for a young person to take on, you know, to really feel like you've got to mature and, and, and kind of take on this responsibility at such a young age. You know, I, I can relate to that in some ways and, in some ways, I, I really feel like, again, in hindsight, that really can end up being a, a skill set. But as you said, you know, you you start to create these stories about what you're supposed to do for safety, or because you're in this position, it's your job to be the responsible one, um, and that is a lot to carry. Uh, how how have you? Uh, kind of, or, or I guess, as you started to move through your life, how did that impact you? You said you were kind of the overachiever. Like, tell me a little bit about, like, then how that ran your life for that next period of time. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, fun facts about Lindsay: I was a world champion baton twirler back in the day. So, okay, like, that was a big thing for me. I funneled a lot of energies into being the best that I could be at doing that. And so it created like very compulsive tendencies, I would tell you. Like, you know, I would practice six and seven hours a day. Mm -hmm. You know, I would get up at five o'clock in the morning and I would practice in the garage because it was dark out, so I couldn't be outside. And then, you know, I would come home from school 
and I would do my homework and I would go outside and I would practice for like three hours. You know, and it was just, or I'd go to the gym or wherever it was that I, I needed to do it. And it was like, you know, you you hear in your head, like, I just have to, if I'm, you don't think this at the time, but like, if I'm the best, like, think about how great that'll be. And then you start to think like, if I'm the best, like everybody will love me. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that's not real. You know, <laughs> no one loves you because you got a trophy. People love you because of who you are as a human being. But I think it definitely shaped that for me. And then on the, additionally, like, and I also compulsively studied, mm-hmm. you know, because if I was, if I had the highest average in the class and I was like the valedictorian and whatever else, again, like people, you, you, you translate that to, oh, people are paying attention to this. Like people must love me. Mm-hmm. And it's not that like, like yeah. I really, what I was searching for, like I was just a little kid who wanted to be loved. Yeah. Like that's really what it was, you know? And, and I, through my like very challenging, like almost getting, you know, killed and then, you know, having to basically like take on a mother type role to some degree, you are loving everyone else and you're taking care of everyone else, but you're actually not loving you. So you're like seeking love in these very weird. Yeah. Twisted ways. Well, and it, it's interesting. I mean, you, you're, you said it kind of by the grace of God and and you're right. I mean, you did end up kind of seeking that love, you know, kind of soothing your your whatever was missing, the love that was missing, the the kind of um, nurturing and safety and and you know the the missing parts by doing some things that were pretty healthy. I mean, you know, you're 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 twirling batons and 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 studying. You know, and and I get like there's a lot of that that isn't truly healthy because you know you're in it not necessarily for the right reasons. But you know what kept you from going the other route? Do you have a sense as to why you didn't go the party drug rebel route with your with your need for love? I think you could easily gone that way. I just think that you know I just didn't. I'm I'm very unlucky in some regards. Like I would be the person to get caught doing drugs. I would be the person to get caught drinking when you're not supposed to. Mm -hmm. Like I would be the person, you know, God forbid, like you get caught like having sex at like some early age or something by your Mm -hmm. parents or whatever. Like that would be me. That would be me. Like I'm just terribly unlucky. Uh And um, and so (laughs) I think that that's what would happen. Also, like I think that I am. A really bad liar. <laughs> so um, I always knew that even if I could keep like from my you know nose down together, my eyes would always express what was actually going on behind the scenes. And yeah. I just think like it would be probably really easy to catch me. And that, and I think you know, I tend to be very observant of the things and the people around me and what they're doing and their energies. And you know, I saw some. Girls in particular, younger girls, like they started to skew that like troublemaking, you know, whatever path. And I just didn't want that to be me. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I always just kind of thought about it that way. Like I didn't want to be that. Like yeah. people were going to love me. They were going to love me because I did good things and not bad things. Yeah. And I'm curious, just kind of at this stage, and I don't know kind of when this started to emerge, but knowing that you're, Co-founder of the W Fund and have this experience as um, you know the um, first female venture capital partner in the state of Ohio. What was there some sense as a woman, a young woman, uh, that there was some uniqueness or challenge or anything kind of at a at a at this time in your life about being a woman? In, in how you were starting to experience success? Yeah, I would say like when I first started to have... I don't even know that I recognized it as success. It was just sort of like doing my job and I felt like it was progressing and like stair-stepping up, you know, in whatever way that was. I, I kind of felt that that was, it was... I felt that that was natural, but what... I didn't actually recognize until I was in the thick of it was that there was a difference. Like Mm -hmm. people did treat men and women differently in my Mm -hmm. space. There was times where, you know, I would be having a meeting because we were trying to hire someone to work. They would report to me 
for reporting or whatever. And, you know, I had guys that wouldn't even look me in the face. They wouldn't answer the questions I asked them. They would like, you know, they wouldn't shake my hand. They would tell me to go get them coffee. And, you know, I mean, that's fine. I'm always happy to get someone coffee. I'm happy to be kind. But like, <laughs> that was not my job there that day. Um, and so I didn't even really realize it was a thing until I was in the thick of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's a thing. Mm-hmm. But then... I was like, you know what? It's not going to be a thing. Not for me. Like, mm-hmm. I am not going to allow this to happen. And then when I realized... I don't think I even realized like, oh, I was doing something and setting an example for people. I think I was just doing my job and doing the right thing. And what that ended up turning into was... you know, People started to go, oh, wow. Like, What you're doing is really cool. Like, How did you do this? Like, I'm a, I'm a woman and I want to get into this. Or I'm you know, a diverse you know, person and I want to get into this. And I didn't even realize that what I was doing was sort of like carrying a torch for people until they started to say like, you know, they were almost like, thank you. And I, I literally, I just, I was doing what I thought was the right thing to do. So it was very strange. Like it was, and now like I recognize the magnitude of that. <laughs> and uh, which is why like I helped form the W fund and I mm-hmm. helped, you know, get the pride fund lifted because not everybody I adore you, you know this, but not everybody's a white male. <laughs> so, yeah. it's, uh, it, not everybody, unfortunately, gets the, the same shake um, right out the gate. So Yeah, no question. I want to talk to you about that. Um, and it's part of the reason why I've enjoyed working with you and I'm excited about what we're working on. But and I, and I certainly want to talk about that relative to what's going on in the world right now. The, the Black Lives Matter and, and, and Pride, you know, so let, let's circle back to that. But tell me a little bit, you know, before we kind of start to get further into your career, what do you do with that overachieving high school time of your life? It, it continues to propel you into your career, into your studies. You know, you obviously end up going to law school, but t- tell us a little bit about how it propels you forward and at what point do you start to kind of like recognize that that's what's happening and maybe you need to shift a little and kind of looking at Lindsay? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I don't think I really recognized it until law school, but I didn't recognize what I was recognizing. I just knew I was suffering from like severe emotional problems. So High school propels you into college. In college, um, I played a D1 sport. I was, you know, three-time captain of the, the lacrosse team. Like, I was student body president. Like, you know, just keep like stacking on the superlatives, right? Uh, you are just all in on <laughs> everything. Again, yeah. kind of wanting to just be this excelling all-star in life yeah. to kind of get the validation that you were still seeking. Seeking, and I was like, I would tell you, I was in like a very, I adore the person now, um, but it was not a great relationship for us that we were in and out of for like eight solid years. Mm -hmm. Again, like seeking like validation and love and all of these things. Um, So then I went to law school, and um, I started to see like my issues like really start to percolate to the surface. So uh, I entered law school, and I developed like extreme eating disorder. Mm. So, and so I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to enter the Miss USA pageant. <laughs> like, is this a good idea? No. When you have an eating disorder, this is not. The- and so, uh, gratefully, I did not win that. It was a little bit of a blow to the self-esteem. <laughs> but, um, you know, I ended up weighing something like 98 pounds. And mm. like, just for context, that's like, 40 pounds plus less than I weigh right now. (laughs) And so, and and I'm relatively fit, you know, Mm -hmm. we could always lose a few LBs, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I started to see that percolate up. So I started to notice, like, I didn't recognize it at the time, but I was controlling what I could control through food. And so, like, that's obviously problematic. I didn't love my first year of law school. So I transferred to a different law school, which is how I ended up in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And there I went through some more, another semester. And I found myself just like plummeting to the depths of despair. Like mm-hmm. I would be like laying on my floor and I was like, I don't even want to do this. Like, what am I doing with my life? Mm-hmm. So again, I tried to like throw myself into school and throw myself into study. So instead of just getting a law degree, I decided to get a law degree and an MBA because why mm-hmm. not work in the world of superlatives, right? Mm-hmm. And 
as I was going through that, I graduated and, you know, I got a great job out of, out of school and, you know, all things were pointing to, oh my gosh, like life is going to be amazing. And I found myself laying on my floor and I was, I'm like, I was literally moments away from taking my own life. Mm. Um, it was, now I'm getting emotional. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really yeah, appreciate was, you sharing. It was awful. And like, just by the grace of God, I had two, I had two dogs, um, one of which who is not with me anymore, but one of which, um, he doesn't have much time left, but he's my best dude. Um, and they, they literally came up underneath me and lifted me off the floor as if to say like, you're worth fighting for, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, (laughs) yeah. Um, and it was like at that moment that I realized like, holy hell, do you need to like make some changes in your life? Like, so I got myself into therapy, which mm-hmm. was do because no one in my family had ever even thought about doing something like that. So like mm-hmm. that to me registered as like, oh, you're a failure because mm-hmm. you have to go and get help. And that's like, I cannot, for anyone listening, like I cannot make that more clear. Like that is not true. Like seek help if you need for. But yeah, it was, yeah. it was brutal. And, it took like probably five years to peel back the the onion in totality to figure out like I had two things that were so intertwined, which had to do with like safety and love that mm-hmm. like when you start to pull those two things apart, they they start to scream at each other from the core. Like they almost can't be pulled apart for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. I think it's really important and I recognize the emotion and, and, and that's really um, something I feel honored to have um, experienced with you. You know, the it, it's really kind of the point of this podcast because you know you are not alone, yeah. and that's what we're hoping people will see that we all feel like this. You're you're somebody who has achieved a lot. You 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 know are still full of superlatives, right? You still you you you're racking them up still, but you've done some work to understand you know why you are the way you are and you're now doing it from a much healthier place and and that is possible you know and that's really what we wanted people to see is that it's not a straight line yeah. there, there are times where you are laying on the floor sick right with with disease disorder and a lot of um, mental, uh, un, you know, a lot of of, of mental health oh, issues, yeah. and and that is something that we experience. And you know, just to kind of like click on it a little more, isn't it so profound how the earliest years of our life can unconsciously inform our whole lives if we let it? Yeah, you know, I mean, you had to do five years. Of work. I mean, I've been in therapy for a lot longer and continuing to learn what's been running just from those early years. Yeah. And trying to like rewire your brain to think about things differently is, it is so much work. Like, yeah. I think it, it is not about walking in and like, sitting on the couch and talking to someone about how you had a bad day today. Like, I so I do EMDR, and so mm-hmm. you're supposed to like think about the how something is making you feel. How yeah. is like and where does that resonate in your body? And like then you think about that and you just kind of let it talk to you and tell you what's happening. And like when you start to peel back some of those pieces and parts, you're just like, I mean, I'm grateful that I did that earlier on and off in my life because I think if I would have started it, you know, now or later, I would have been like, my God, like what a disaster. I, you know, I've been like did so much harm. I've been doing the relationships and whatever else in my life. And it's just, it's really wild. It's, yeah. but it is a lot of work. It is a lot of work and you have to be so committed to it because it is hard. And some days, am I allowed to swear? Like some days it's yes. very shitty. Yeah. <laughs> like, and some days, you know, you're so raw for like a week after therapy that it's hard to put your pants on, but you got to do that anyway, because you got to be a grown up. I mean, it's just, it's so tough. Yeah, it is so tough. And and I think that's also very honest and important to acknowledge and say, because I think, you know, people get stuck. I myself sometimes am like, 
I don't want to do this anymore. Enough's enough. Um, however, you know, it, it, it speaks to how it's changed your life. You know, I mean, it's worth it, right? Yeah. 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 It, it's worth it. Like, you're worth it. I'm worth it. Like, it is beyond worth it. Like, now I look at my life and I'm just, you know, sometimes I, I'm like just smiling, you know, and nothing happened. You know, not like, I'm just like, wow, okay, like, today is a good day. And I, nothing happened. I'm just feeling better. I'm not sitting there saying, I'm not judging myself against myself and these unrealistic standards and whatever. Like, let's be clear, that still creeps in every day. And I got to talk to it and tell it to like, go sit in the corner a little bit. But, you know, I think every day will be a battle with that for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is a life's journey. It is a life's work. So, so you, 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 you do the work and continue to do the work. That's life, right? This is life. If you, if you want a life that, you know, feels aligned and, and whole, you're, you, you keep going forward, right? Like you said, you put your pants on and you go forward doing the best you can. How did you move forward? Talk a little bit about kind of now how you start to move into your career. So what I realized I started doing was compulsively working. So I used work as my proxy for if I work harder and I achieve more and whatever, people will love me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so what I had to do there was start to check that. And as when you start to realize that you're doing it, so I had to set micro goals. It was like at first it was because if you let me, I would work till eleven o'clock every night. I'd work till my eyes bled, and then I'd fall asleep. I'd start up and I'd do it all over again. And I mean, I take great pride in the fact that I don't think anyone can outwork me. If mm-hmm. if you let me go, I'm gonna go. Like I'm a sled dog and happiest when working. So like that's a challenge too to keep mm-hmm. it bay. But what I had to start to do was set micro goals, and it wasn't. This sounds crazy, but I would say. Well, it's at nine o'clock every night, I'm going to stop working. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and it was hard. Like, it was hard to not like then go open your email or whatever. And so I had to start to like slow the train down. And then I just had to start to be more assertive in some of my relationships in, in the workforce, you know, throughout everything that I do. I had a lot of people who would say they would just expect me to like take care of things. And I had to start to push back and be like, I can't, um, or not now, or that's not a priority to me. And it's funny when you start to do that. And sometimes people don't love when you start to do that because you've been the person that they always like just throw things at. And then you start to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then you come across as like a difficult human being for them. What I had to also internalize was that is not about me. Mm-hmm. That was about them <laughs> and their reactions to that. And that's okay. But what it started to like get the wheels turning with me for was like, hey, you know, it's okay to make changes. It's okay to say like, I'm not going to do certain things anymore. It's okay to make massive career shifts. And I don't think that if I would have gone through the therapy and peeling back the onions that I would have ever been able to do it. And if I'm a thousand percent honest, it would have killed me. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think you know this, but not everybody knows this. I mean, I had a brain tumor in September that they took out through my nose. Like, and like my body just couldn't handle the stress of life anymore. My body could like from outward, like you thought everything was fine other than like me constantly being sick. But you know, my body was just saying like, we can't do it anymore. And I just had to like respect myself and I had to love myself enough to say, we're not going to do this this way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does take its toll physically. And there's a lot of research around that, that, you know, there's the mind body and that, you know, depending on kind of just how woo woo you want to get with it. I mean, there's maybe, there's a lot of ways for us to learn. And sometimes it does take us getting physically sick to actually start to really look at how we're living and what changes we want to make and whether that's a divine intervention or just you know, I don't know, something that happens, you know, I, I believe it's, it's all connected, but... I had a choice to make when I found out that I was sick and the universe basically like said, this is your crossroads, kid. Yeah. Like, this is your time to decide. Like, are you really serious about making changes in your life? 
Because if you decide to keep down this pathway and not stand up for yourself and whatever and stay in some, you know, agreements and whatever that, you know, the time had run its course on, but it was comfortable because I knew what to expect or say, you know what, I'm going to take the leap. I don't know what the next set of stairs look like, but like, I'm going to figure it the hell out. Mm -hmm. And I put that faith in myself and in the universe. And I honored myself. And I firmly believe that I honored myself. And so the universe said, we will reward you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a week later, when I made that decision that I made, because I, I literally was, you know, best for all parties, I thought. A week later, they took my tumor out and it came out benign. Mm -hmm. And like the doctor said, like, he was like, I can't believe I'm telling you this, but I really thought you had cancer. Mm -hmm. I just didn't want to tell you. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. a scary experience. I mean, uh, when you have that possibility, when when there's the possibility that you know you, uh, well, I mean, look, you had a, a brain tumor. That yeah. was a reality. That was real. All, all everything's possible, and you can't help but to think about all the outcomes. So um, thank God you're okay. Tell me a little bit. Let's talk a little bit specifically about venture. I want to hear kind of your perspective being a, a former partner in a, in a firm here locally, um, still active um, in the venture community in a lot of ways. Um, talk to me about what your experience has been like, you know, in this historically white male dominated space, you've really emerged as a leader. Uh, in, in venture, what's that been like for you? Um, it's been interesting. You know, like, like I was saying, I mean, it just, it wasn't something that I set out and I said, oh, I'm going to be a thought leader or I'm going to be a person who sets an example or really like blazes a trail for other women or, you know, diverse populations to come after me. I just did the best that I could do. And I was authentic and I was honest and not everybody loves that about me. <laughs> but uh, you know, I did what I was gonna do and it has just been wild. You know, I didn't recognize that I was even really sort of setting, blazing a trail, setting, you know, until probably 2017. And people started to kind of come to me and they would ask me for my thoughts or my advice, or they would want to know like, how would I do something or what would I think about in a certain area? And I just thought they were asking me, I'm like so naive. I thought they were just asking me because like they thought I did good work and I was like hardworking, you know, whatever. And it turns out they were just, they fundamentally trusted what I was saying and what I was thinking and whatever. And that's like a big responsibility because you don't realize how significant that is, but it's a big cross to bear when you've got lots of other people who are, you know, 15, 20 years your junior saying, like, I want to be like you when I get into my career. And for me, that's like, I, I that's beautiful, but I, like, I also just want people to be themselves. Like, you can always emulate someone, but like, be yourself. <laughs> so, I think it's created a different sense or source of pressure in my life. And, and so, I'm still figuring out like ways to manage through that a little mm -hmm. bit. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me a little bit about kind of that. I mean, how are you managing through it? <laughs> so, I know we went through this whole thing where I was like seeking love and seeking validation by doing positive things. I also don't know how to respond appropriately to positive reinforcement criticism. Like I can handle it in a very awkward way. <laughs> so that has been a lot of pressure because um, I'm trying to, you know, manage that gracefully because that's that's what you should do. Like if someone says something kind to you, you should be grateful about that. You should be thankful. You shouldn't be like wanting to hide under <laughs> your mattress <laughs> because you're just like uncomfortable about it. You know, it, it's it's this weird balance between, you know, kind of like putting yourself out there for people to see and like continuing to do your work and continuing to do the right thing and like managing that in a way that isn't weird. I don't know if I'm even really answering the question. It's just so, it's so odd to me. Like, you know, when people are like, oh, I saw you in Columbus CEO. I loved that article. And you're just like, these are people I don't know that come up to me in the grocery store, you know, like yeah. that's, that's weird, you know? <laughs> and yeah. So um, I'm still trying to figure out 
how to manage through that in the best way that I can. I just, I, I don't know that there's a proper answer. I don't know. Yeah, I understand. No, I understand. I mean, I think, you know, you're humble and you're um, just kind of doing what you do and, you know, kind of being recognized for it can feel a little odd because um, yeah. it's not why you're doing it. Yes. I have a trophy for doing my job. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. I'm just doing my job. Like I shouldn't get a trophy. You know? I'm yeah. just doing my job. <laughs> right. Well, one of the things that I've been really impressed by and just, you know, kind of reading through your bio, your um, role with um, the W Fund and Pride Fund and and your um, kind of mentoring and speaking and doing a lot to uh, kind of change how venture has been done. You know, talk a little bit about kind of how you're taking that energy, that desire to 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 achieve, to be recognized in, you know, maybe that's not like you're looking to be recognized, but you're looking to to, to excel and, and you're putting it into some things that are really important, not just into you uh, moving your career forward or you making more money. You're you're helping a lot of groups that need it in this space in particular. Talk a little bit about what you're doing there. As co-founder of the W Fund, we focus there on just getting capital into the hands of female entrepreneurs. So be it female-founded or female-led companies, only 2%, 2.2% of venture dollars statistically go into women-led companies. The statistics are even more abysmal from there. If you're a Black female founder, you can expect to see 0.2% of uh, venture capital dollars. So it's just... Like I look at that and I'm just like, this is a horrifying statistic. And so, you know, as you start to get older and you start to mature a little bit, uh, you start to think about, well, how do I have an impact on people beyond me? You know, I don't think about at this point so much like, oh, what are, uh, what am I doing? It's more like, what am I doing that impacts other people and changes the world? And so, you know, I, I really do have a goal that when I look back in, you know, 20 years, I get to say, Hey, you know, women and men are equally funded, or no one really thinks about. Oh, am I going to exclude certain groups, or or what? Or only include certain groups in terms of funding? Like the playing field is just so much more leveled. And like, so when I think about that grand vision and that grand goal, I think about okay, what are the little things I can do every single day to make that a reality? So I always use this analogy of geology: it's applying consistent pressure over time. And so you don't always see all of the, the things that are happening. And sometimes those things feel like such hard things and so much like you're applying pressure you know, to you or whatever. But as you're applying pressure back, um, if geology teaches us nothing, pressure and time is how diamonds are made. So I think like you can change the world with consistent pressure and time. you know. And so when I think about like, what am I doing? That's what I think about doing. I think about just leveling the playing field and helping like the diamonds to kind of like percolate up to the surface for women, diverse populations, LGBTQ, uh, black founders, you know, <laughs> Asian founders, all of it. So I just think that's the right thing to do. And, and if I'm also equally honest, like statistically, when you have a more diverse portfolio or more diverse parties at the table, you get better outcomes. That's like proven time and time and time again. So like why people just constantly slide into the the ease and the complacency of just not thinking about that. It's just, it blows my mind. So I just look at it as I have to be one of the people who thinks about it. (laughs) And that's fine too. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a very good point. You know, there's drive capital here in Columbus that most people are familiar with that had the thesis that there was all this talent in the Midwest that wasn't being utilized uh, as the focus was on the coast and, and Silicon Valley. And the same, I think, can really be said for minorities and others that really aren't getting the same um, attention um, or looks or investment. Uh, It's like there's a lot of untapped talent out there and that this isn't something that's like charity. There's people that aren't getting the opportunities that they deserve that have a lot to offer you know, why not do well and do good at the same time? Yeah, I mean, 
And I and I think some people get confused that those things have to be mutually exclusive and they just don't. Yeah. You know, they just don't. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've seen, I, I would tell you some of my best performing returns on companies that I've invested in have been women-led. The founder was a black male in one of them. Like, I mean, it's, one of them is LGBTQ. Like those, some of those have been some of my best performing returns. And sometimes I have to wonder it's because like, have they faced different hardships and adversities and things that have helped them shape and think about the world differently? So they navigate it differently too. I I am curious about that. Yeah, I um, I know you and uh, I looked at the Adapt AI project, which I've invested in, and those guys are measuring adaptability as a credential that's currently being underlooked. Looking at how people that grow up in the inner cities who've been forced to adapt their whole lives can offer real value to an organization to anything they choose to apply it to that currently doesn't show up on a Diploma or resume, you know. Hey, you know, I've I've had to adapt my whole life. I can adapt in a in a corporate environment, no problem. Um, that's not something people are currently seeking. So that's a, just an example of something that you know I think speaks to your point. Yeah, it's adaptability, and then it's also grit because sometimes things are just going to be really shitty and hard, and you've got to like say, all right, I'm going to put my head down, and I'm going to like bullhorn through this and keep going. And not everybody has like... It gets hard to do. Yeah. That gets really hard. Yes, it does. So talk a little bit about kind of what the future looks like. You're at Thompson High now. You know, Tell me a little bit about kind of what's on your, on your mind to go forward. Sure. So I still uh, love venture and I run... You know... The, the VC, real, really the side of the house in terms of the VC and emerging companies group. And so, you know, I'm, I'm working on some projects through Thompson Hine to help um, Thompson Hine become really the coolie of the Midwest. I think there's a lot of opportunity to become, you know, help people start venture funds in a way that's very effective and market standard and all of those things and do it in a cost-effective way um, so that hopefully we can get some more early-stage capital into uh, the ecosystems throughout the Midwest. When I think about things that I'm incredibly passionate about and want to see happen, you know, my story and the story of lots of others, some they pan out and some don't, uh, you know, I'm really passionate about entrepreneurial wellness and and making sure people are taking care of their whole self. So it's very easy to get caught up in the day-to-day grind of life and forget to eat right and sleep enough and take care of your mental health and your emotional health and take care of your relationships around you. And so I spend a lot of time thinking about how do how do those things get streamlined and then how does that then pair with um, venture capital funding, particularly in the early stages, so that you can help these companies set themselves up for success and have internal processes and cultures and systems where it's normal to take care of yourself instead of working 22 hours a day. Because I just fundamentally do not believe that you make your best decisions when you haven't slept more than three hours in a week and a half and you haven't seen your family and you're eating nothing but potato chips. I am hard pressed to believe that you're making great business decisions. And in turn, my returns are impacted. <laughs> so right. I would rather see quality work instead of, you know, oh, I worked, you know, 22 hours today. Cool, bro or gal. Like, right. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, I've been excited to partner with you and about, you know, our venture. You know, we share that belief and, you know, really think it's kind of counterintuitive. To the kind of programming that that venture and really our society has adapted to or accepted, you know, this idea that you really need to die at your desk. That you know, eight out of ten people, eight out of ten companies has to fail as long as we get the unicorn, the the billion dollar exit. You know, that that whole thing to me has always really not sat well with me. It's been kind of something I've experienced in my brief venture experience that you know 
there's a lot of things that are left out of what I believe really is important for human beings, for our world, for society, and really can drive um, equal or better returns. You know, that, that we can actually holistically support entrepreneurs who need the help, just like you did, just like I need, have uh, experienced. Give them coaching, give them therapy, give them ways to measure their nutrition, their sleep, their mindfulness. And, and why wouldn't they, with all of that, perform better? I mean, you know, it just makes total sense to me, yet it's just not at all how things currently are operating. And, it, and it's, yeah. it's, it's worked for the VC funds, but if you look at the... And it's worked for the you know, one or two out of 10. Um, but if you really look at the damage done to the failures, the burnouts... Um, nobody's nobody's checking in to see how those people are doing and what happened with their lives and 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 you know to me that's really uh, a big part of the problem. Yeah, I think that's a that's a huge part of the problem. And I think quite honestly, like venture's just a little bit broken. Like we've turned it into this like porn hustle culture where you know the more you work, clearly the more successful you're going to be. Like I just that's not necessarily true. You know, you know because right. you can work a lot but not get anything done or you can work really efficiently and get a lot accomplished and like still have a normal life and think more clearly. So I actually I also think venture's broken a little bit and my venture colleagues are gonna get upset with me. But I think it's broken because I think we look at businesses the wrong way too. I think we've gotten away from looking at um, the underlying business metrics, the economic case, and we've turned it into this well, you're only successful if you raise capital and raise capital and raise capital. And, and at some point, you can't raise more capital to get the most recent you know, investors out of the deal. And so we've gotten away from, from a few basic blocking and tackling things that are very foundational to finance. And so I think that companies in the portfolio, you know, if you're picking the right people, they can pivot and, and be successful. Maybe it's not you know, a 10-banger on the exit. Maybe it's a 2 or a 3. But guess what? That's better than a failure. And I'd rather see a 2... And like, hopefully, you know, people don't get too upset about this. But I'd rather see a 3x return and people really healthy and not a littered you know, series of you know, entrepreneurs who've fallen apart behind me. I'd rather see a bunch of you know, healthy, successful people all continuing to build and develop the Midwest ecosystem. Yeah. Amen. I'm with you on that. And I think it's really important. You know, it's an interesting thing as we've been kind of examining our own corporate culture, our own uh, ways to improve, to make a difference. You know, we're constantly reevaluating now more than ever what our team looks like, who we're working with, who we're investing in, how we can be a part of the solution. And Despite my tendency to sometimes want to just walk away from it all and just, I don't know, become a coach or therapist or just, you know, be of service full time, I'm still in the business world. I'm still in the corporate world. I'm, I'm still in a place where I think that maybe, maybe the best way for us to make a change is through the building of healthy, organizations and, and, and investing in human beings that can build products that are aimed at making a difference in the world and that can really you know, help the people that are working in these organizations to live happier, healthier lives. And, and it, it might just be that's the place where I can be most valuable. And I know, you know that's where you and I are really aligned and um, excited to be moving forward together, and I know that's been your experience in life too. So, you know, yeah. it's 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 fun to try to you know roll up our sleeves and and make a difference. Yeah, and sort of like doing something that's like very fun and intellectually stimulating at the same time, right? It's yeah. not just uh, it's not just service. It's I think beneficial on a lot of different levels. Yes, and hopefully very profitable for everybody involved. This is a for-profit business. So we can do a lot with that capital. I, I don't, I'm not um, shy about saying it. I really believe that 
you know, you can really generate good capital that can continue to go back into the system, both for-profit and non-profit this way too, that, that there's a need for capital. Um, there's organizations that are doing really, really good work that need money. And if you have success, you're able to, to do that. You can support new entrepreneurs. There's just a lot of ways to really use this capital in a way that makes a difference. That's like the next level up, right? For the, for the Midwest ecosystem, you've got, you know, on the coast, you've got all this capital that has sort of, you know, been grown and now can be redeployed to the next generation to help them grow and learn and, and all those things. And, and I think that's the next opportunity for everyone in the Midwest to sort of have some big successes, redeploy that capital, do it the right way, take care of people, don't burn them out, all good stuff. Yep. Yep. Uh, Lindsay, thank you, first of all, for sharing yourself and being very honest and vulnerable and transparent. I think you've got a story, a journey that's very admirable, commendable, difficult at times, no question about it. But you sharing that, I think, will make a difference for somebody. Maybe there's somebody that's laying on the floor that's going to hear that story. So thank you for that. And thank you for what you're doing and continuing to do and continuing to grow and continue to make a difference in our community and, and around. It's awesome having you here. Any final thoughts or words or things you want to share? Find the people that you can surround yourself with that believe in you and believe in the light within you and help cultivate that. You're worth it and you're worth doing the work, putting that time in for you because there's no greater investment than investing in yourself. Awesome. Well said. Okay, Lindsay, thank you very much. I appreciate it. We will talk to you soon. Okay, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at the Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.